Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are a Bible-based church based in Peterborough, Canada, and together we are on a mission to reach people who are far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. Today's episode is part two of Pastor Nathan's series, After the Storm. The past 18 months can be likened to a storm that has thoroughly disrupted our plans, our progress, and our relationships in ways we do not yet fully comprehend. Yet as the storm subsides, we begin to ask questions like, what's been lost? Who's still with me? And where do I go from here? Join us for week two as we discuss our need for one another. The Christian life was never meant to be lived in isolation, and we were made for community, and we are better together. With that, let's turn it over to Pastor Nate and part two, after the storm, titled Committed to Community. Hey, uh, today we're in week two of a message series uh, that we're calling After the Storm. And, um, you know, to, to be honest with you, about a month ago, we had intended to, or I had intended to, to sort of relaunch our Four Peterborough Initiative. I remember, how many of you remember that? About a year and a half, actually almost two years ago, uh, we launched a Four Peterborough Initiative. And what we said was, from the beginning of the time that this church existed, one of the things that we always wanted to do was before our community. We wanted to make an impact in the city and to the people that live in community with us. And uh, so we were sort of kicking off that initiative, planning some events and ways that we could serve our city. And then COVID hit, and a lot of the things that we had planned sort of got derailed and canceled, as many of you know. And, uh, And so I was originally planning to kind of launch into that, and instead decided to do this series called After the Storm. And the reason for that was, was simply because uh, over the past year and a half, so many people within our church and within our community at large have really uh, been through something like a storm. I kicked things off last week by saying this. How many of you have been through a storm? Like a severe, like a hurricane or tornado? The kind of storm where you grab your kids, your wife, your, 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 your dog, your neighbor, and you get to the basement and you pray. You just pray that you make it through till the morning. And I feel like the last 18, 19 months have been a storm of a different kind. And unlike a physical storm that ravages your house and property, uh, when you emerge the next morning, you see the physical damage and you can kind of grieve it and then you can start repairing it, right? You get out the hammer and the siding and you start fixing the things that are damaged. Well, in the kind of storm that we've just been through together, um, sometimes the damage isn't always so visible. There's hurt, there's loneliness. There's isolation, there's loss, and the temptation for all of us would be just to kind of move on to what's next, right? The temptation for all of us would be just to say, hey, um, how do we move on from here? I got a picture here. This is a storm that happened. I think this is Hurricane Katrina. Uh, some of you remember that uh, at least a decade ago. Hurricane Katrina blew through and caused so much water and wind damage to property. And, you know, obviously, if your house looked like this, your next step would be to pick up a hammer and to start doing repair. And it would take you a long time. Probably this would be a rebuild, to be honest with you. Um, but you would start to do the work. Because during the storm, you sort of try to survive. But after the storm is really when the, the work really begins. And so the temptation for all of us in this season, as we slowly emerge from the pandemic, and it's starting in small ways to feel a little more normal, uh, our temptation would be to just move on. Next slide, please. Our temptation would be just to move on, to ignore the loss, just to be like, well, that happened, and we're just kind of going on to what's next. But in reality, uh, we need to heal. We need community. Uh, we need to re-engage in different ways. Um, and so last week, we talked about um, one of our natural responses. So when things go wrong in our life, 
when things go wrong, when we are hurt, when we uh, fail ourselves, when others fail us, one of our tendencies we learned last week is to do what? To blame. I heard somebody say it. Blame. So we point our fingers, and essentially what we do when we blame is we assign responsibility to someone else. We say, you're responsible. You're responsible for what's happened to me. And sometimes other people are responsible, but we assign it. That's what blame does. But of course, as we learned last week, blame doesn't actually fix anything. Blame doesn't help. It doesn't make things better. All it does is move something off your plate, but it doesn't actually fix anything. We learned last week that that Jesus actually came to do something radically different. That when Jesus showed up on the scene, he didn't assign responsibility. He took responsibility. He said, I will bear the weight of your sins. I will bear the weight of your pain on my shoulders, and I will die in your place. So he reverses everything that seems so natural to us. So today, as we continue, I do want to talk about relationship today. And I want to make this statement that we were created for relationship. We were created for relationship. We see this in Genesis chapter 2, right in the, in the opening of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. God created Adam, and Adam's there, and he's naming all the animals, and he's doing his thing in the garden, and everything's great, and he's walking with God. And he's looking at all the animals pairing up. There's two horses, and two of these, and two of those. And, and actually, it doesn't even say that the man complained, like, I'm lonely, I need a wife. It was nothing like that. He didn't even know what he needed. It says that God said it's not good for him to be alone. I will make a helper. I will make a companion. Someone like him is the intention of the original language. I'm going to make another human being so that Adam can have community. He already had community with God, but God intended for him to have community with someone like him. And so from the beginning, the plan was for us to have a relationship with God and to have a relationship with other people who are like us. We were created for relationship. Now, I don't think this verse we just read is specifically a marriage verse. I think it's a relationship verse. I think we need each other. Uh, Science and, and psychology has shown that people don't do well in isolation. Like, it is not good to be alone. If you are alone for a long time, you will start to lose your mind. We don't even realize how much we depend on the responses, reactions, and communications of others to help keep us sane. Right, And if any of us were to be left alone for a few years on an island, we would probably start talking to a volleyball. All right, Now that's legit. Like People literally have to do that. They have to have some community or they will go crazy. I watched a video on YouTube this week. Um, that's one of the ways I prepare for my sermons. And uh, there was this guy, and he did this experiment with isolation. He said, okay, psychologists say that to just be alone with no stimulation is very detrimental and difficult. So he says, I'm going to lock myself in a white room for three days. Bright light, so you get no sunlight, no people, no books, literally a white room with food and a toilet and a bed. He almost went nuts. By the end of the three days, he didn't know if he was awake, sleep, dreaming. His mind started playing tricks on him. He was going crazy. And as soon as he emerged, he he started talking. There were doctors, of course, monitoring this on screens. And he's just like, talk to me. He's just talking. And he's just trying to get feedback because something inside him needed communication and feedback. There's a reason why in prison, you know, when people do bad things, murderers and, and armed robbery, they take those people and they put them in prison but they're with other prisoners. And if they're really bad in prison, what do they do to them? Solitary confinement. They, 
They put them in a place where they can't even talk to other bad people. You are on your own, and they just sit there with their thoughts. And it plays all kinds of tricks. It is a form of punishment. It is, it is awful. And so we were made and wired for relationship. We were made for community. Evolutionary biologists would say the reason why we need each other so much is because, you know, in order to survive and evolve, we had to depend on the pack. But the Bible says that God created us for this, that we were wired for it, created to depend upon and need each other. And of course, something happened. We talked about this a little bit last week. Sin happened. The fall happened. And so we turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Adam and Eve eat the fruit they weren't supposed to. And I want you to notice what happened. It says, then the eyes of both were opened. They could already see. They, they had a new understanding somehow. And they knew that they were naked. So apparently Adam and Eve, the first man and first woman, are walking around totally naked, never noticed. It's kind of cool. There was an innocence to them that was, it was incredible. I mean, I, I think about this because... My wife and I have had kids. Anyone who's been had kids or been around kids, you know that if you're changing a one, one-year-old's diaper, you know, you take them out of small group and you bring them into the, the room and you're changing their diaper and you turn to get a wipe and they disappear. Have you ever seen this? And they run down the hall, buck naked, and they run right into the small group and there's a whole circle of people and the little child just looks and is like, hey, like there's no shame. <laughs> Everyone's like, whoa, naked person. And the kid's just like, hi there innocent adam and eve complete innocence they didn't even notice they were naked until what they sinned and all of a sudden look what they look what their natural response becomes after they sin they sewed fig leaves together this is ingenious they're taking leaves somehow they're sewing them together and it says they made themselves loincloths so they made the first set of clothes out of leaves which, by the way, we have lawn bags. You can grab them on the way out and rake your neighbor's leaves. You don't need to make clothes out of them, but you can help somebody. That's great. Okay? They made clothes out of leaves. But here's the thing I wonder when I read this. Who are they hiding from? Like, they're the only people. I don't think the animals care. And there's no other people to see them, so what's the big deal? They're actually hiding from each other. There was something about... Sin that caused them to hide from what... So they're actually making clothes to cover them. They're married, and they're the only people, and they're covering themselves from each other. It's strange, okay? But that's what happens. And then it says this. Not only are they hiding from each other, it says, when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So God enters the garden to come and spend time with them. And it says this. And the man and his wife hid themselves. So not only are they making clothing to cover themselves from one another, but they're also now hiding from God. They're behind a bush somewhere, the two of them. And they're hiding from the presence of the Lord in the trees of the garden. What I, what I guess I want you to understand is that hiding is natural. Hiding is natural. That in our fallen human state, we, by nature, pull away from God and pull away from each other. When I mess up, my first instinct isn't to run to God and be like, God, please forgive me. When I do something wrong to my wife, my first reaction is not to run to her and be like, I messed up and I hurt you. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? My first instinct is like, well, you should have done something different. And I'm justified. And our natural tendency is to hide, to defend, to blame. Hiding is natural. But here's what I want you to see. That the gospel is supernatural. Here's what I mean. 
From the time that Adam and Eve sinned and fell, everything began to fall apart. One of their kids murders the other, and wars and famines and all this stuff enters into the world with a disaster. And from that point forward, God sets about working a plan, and his plan is to actually restore the relationship of fallen humanity with God and to restore our relationships with one another. So we're actually working back towards where we began in harmony, in love, in unity, and God is working a plan. And, and this is best seen in Jesus as he enters into the scene and he, he brings us the gospel, which literally just means the good news, the good news that Jesus brought. And it's supernatural. It's countercultural. It, it, it's not anything like you would naturally uh, desire to do. We, we talked about this last week when it comes to blame. Our natural desire, point fingers. Jesus doesn't come and point fingers. He says, I'll take responsibility for your sin. And he ends the cycle of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And in the same way, in the same way, our natural tendency is to hide from God and others. When we fail, when others fail us, when things go wrong, we pull away. We hide ourselves. We pull away from God and others. And Jesus enters in to seek and save that which is lost. He is the woman who sweeps the house looking for that lost coin. He's looking for the lost sheep. He's coming for us. He's, even when we reject him, he keeps pursuing us. It's the opposite of hiding. And so, obviously, we need community. We need each other. You guys agree with me on that? We need each other. We need people in our lives. But is it enough just to have family? We all have family, hopefully. You have family. Family are important. It's important to have friends. Those are people that have shared, you know, uh, loves and desires and all those types of things, people you get along with. We need work people, we need community at large, the city of Peterborough. But today I want to focus in on this, Christian community. That it is important, and I would say vital for us all, to have Christian community. To have people who have a shared faith that we are doing life together with. It's vital for us. In fact, what we're going to see today is we can't grow, we can't become who God calls us to be without Christian community. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's take a look. In Ephesians chapter 4, he's speaking to the church, and here's what he says. He says, rather, he says, speaking the truth in love, we're going to circle back to that later, we are to grow up. Everybody say we. I want to hear just a little bit louder. We. So what Paul is saying to the early church is that the Christian life is not a me thing, it's a we thing. Let that sink in. That... I don't grow in my faith by myself. I can't grow in my faith and in my Christianity in isolation because God has so set things up that I need to love him and my neighbor that if I try to love God without being able to love and be in relationship with others, it just doesn't work. So we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So God's plan is that all of us would become more like Jesus, but that we would do it together in community. And if you're in community, and all of us are in community with people who aren't Christians, who don't have faith, who aren't seeking to be like Christ, and that's great. You have to work with people, you have friends, you have hobbies, that's all great. But we need to have people in our lives where we're growing together into the image of Christ, where we are becoming more like Jesus together, where we're supporting and loving each other along that journey. It is so, so, so important for us to do that. He continues to say this, from whom the whole body Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. All He uses the analogy of a body, and he's like, all the parts have a part to play, and they all work together. Um, I was visiting with my brother this week, 
And he happened this week to have a, a serious tooth infection. Have you ever had a tooth get infected? And literally, it was like, oh, I think, I think there's something wrong with my tooth. And then the next day, it's so excruciating. You're just sitting on the couch, kind of holding your head, popping, you know, painkillers, trying to book an appointment. And after three days of doing nothing because of one tooth. And it makes us realize when things like that happen, how interconnected our bodies are. You get one little thing called an appendix. We don't even know what it does. But if it gets infected, you you get shut down, right? And in the same way, if we are a body, if we're a community that's growing together, interconnected, learning to be like Jesus, if one of us is suffering, if one of us is lost, if one of us is hurting, it affects everybody. We don't feel it right away, but eventually we go, what in the world is going on? We are a body. And then he goes on to say this, when each part is working properly. So when you are doing your part within the community and I'm doing my part and we're all doing our part, then the whole body works properly and it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The goal of the church isn't to come and sit and listen to a sermon. That's part of what we do. But the goal of church is actually for you and I to live in community and to love and encourage and strengthen and speak the truth and correct and and help and cry with and celebrate with. That's what community and Christianity is supposed to be all about. In fact, what I would say is that our spiritual growth, yours and mine, our purpose in life, our eternal destiny, all of those things are dependent and linked with the people in this room and the people that are watching online who are part of this community. That's the way things work. Did you know that the New Testament has over a hundred times in the New Testament, it uses a Greek word that is translated one another. There's over a hundred one another's in the New Testament. where We're to love one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another. You, you can't do that if you don't have one another's. If there aren't people in your life that you're doing faith with, you can't do it. So the title of my message, now that we're about halfway in, the title of my message is this, Committed to Community. Can we say that together? Committed to community. Emphasis on the commitment piece. The alternate sermon title I was thinking about was uh, Lose the Fig Leaf. And we'd probably get more hits on YouTube with that, but they would be the wrong kind of hits. So committed to community. What I want to talk about is this word commitment. All right? Because, because commitment is something that I think we can all agree is valuable. Who thinks commitment is valuable and good? Okay. Yeah, about half the people. So if you looked around and saw those hands go up, those are the people you want to be in a relationship with. The people actually believe commitment is important because honestly, some people don't. And being committed to community changes, it changes everything. All right? When we ask this question, and the question is this, why would I, we go back, where was it? Um... Why would I bother committing to community? Let's start here. Why would I bother committing to community with people in this church? It's a great question because I tell you, the people in this church are not all normal, including the pastor, okay? We've all got our stuff. And it doesn't matter who you try to do life with. When you try to do it at that level where you are connected and real and genuine and authentic, stuff comes to the surface that's ugly. And so why would someone want to be connected in community? I mean... Not because it's easy, not because it's always fun, not because you always get what you need out of it, but because when we're alone, doing life 
with other people, I guess if we can go back a couple slides, I want to talk, talk about this for a second. Doing life with other people is risky. Would you agree? People will let you down. People will hurt you. People will leave. People will betray you. People are people. Just like you have done those things to others. Doing life with other people is risky. But here's the truth. Doing life without other people is riskier. It's riskier. And Satan would love nothing more than to isolate you and to isolate me. To get us to actually do what Adam and Eve did in the garden. To hide who we truly are. So we hide our faults, our failures, our weaknesses, our struggles. That we withdraw. We pull away from the people that love us. Pull away from the people in our church. That we disappear from our group. That we stop attending. That we stop connecting with others. And we just withdraw. Because isolation is where we are vulnerable. Anybody here ever watch National Geographic? You've seen the herd of antelope running on the Serengeti or whatever they're doing. And they're all running. And there's probably that one antelope that's like, I'm just so tired of rubbing shoulders with all these antelope. I'm tired of the dust in my face. I'm tired of the smelly tail. I'm just going to pull out of the pack and run back here by myself. And he doesn't last 30 seconds, right? Some predator takes that antelope out. Satan would love nothing more than to to isolate us from one another. So why? Why would we bother committing to community? And the answer simply is because it's worth it. Satan would love to isolate us. He would love to divide us. How many people have seen a lot of division happening in our culture around us? Yeah. Divide people, and then when they're alone, they become lonely. And then when we're lonely, we go, well, nobody's here for me, nobody cares. And then we're hurt. We're emotionally, spiritually hurt. So it starts with isolation, and then it moves to loneliness, and then ultimately it moves to hurt. And we're literally wondering, where is everybody? And that's why, as Christians, we have to be committed to community. We have to decide that this is something we're going to continue to pursue through the ups and downs, because it is the best way for us to fight against uh, what Satan would want to do. The reason why commitment is so important is because commitment is when we do something Because it's the right thing, we do it because it's good for us, not because we necessarily find it easy, okay? I have never had to make a commitment to eat ice cream. It just comes so naturally. I mean, I can can eat it every day. It's no problem. I don't have to commit. I do have to commit to losing weight and eating healthy and saving money and being committed to my spouse and my kids and my family and friends. Because those things aren't always easy. And there's days when I'd rather just say, I'm better on my own. And honestly, some days we are better on our own, but in the long run, it's risky, it's risky-er. And so, without commitment, we will find ourselves with divided, we'll find ourselves lonely and hurt. What commitment to community does is it actually results in relationships that are not fragile. And all of us have maybe, I hope all of us have experienced this, where there's someone in your life that you try to push them away, you're like, I don't even like you anymore, and I'm done with you and you give them your whole spiel like you're trying to get isolation by driving them away and they're like no i love you and they step towards you and you're like whoa what just happened that's called commitment to community someone cares enough to put up with your mouth to put up with your attitude and move closer right when you actually run away and distance yourself they show up and knock on your door and they're like where you been That's commitment to community. See, if we don't have commitment to community, then it's just so easy to just allow relationships to come apart at the seams. And when we have commitment and love for one another, and we're like, I'm in this with you, we're doing this together, then you can disagree without dividing. 
Then, when people push away, pull away, we press in because we're committed. When there's hurt, we listen and we heal together and we move forward together. You know, a lot of people at this, at this time um, have just experienced so much hurt and loss over the past 18 months. And I, I wanted to share this, this point um, that's so important. You can't heal what is hidden. You just can't. Can you imagine going to your doctor's office? And you sit down with your doctor for your physical, and the doctor says, got any pains? And you've got all kinds of pain in your body, and you're like, uh, no. Got any lumps? And you're thinking, well, I got a few on my back and one over, you know, but you don't say anything. Like, the doctor can't help you if you don't say something. And this is true for us. If we're lonely, if we're hurting, if we need to talk to somebody, if we need prayer and we don't say anything, how can anybody know and help us? And it's so important to to understand that you can't heal what's hidden. It has to be revealed. It has to, somebody has to say something. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, in his letter to the New Testament churches, says this in James 5. He says, is any among you sick? Your body broken, your mind struggling, you've been, you know, hurt, you're in a bad place. Let him or her Call for the elders. He actually puts the emphasis, look, if you need something, you've got to say something. And honestly, as a pastor, I would love to be in all of your homes. I would love to be there for you guys. For those of you watching online, I want to be there for you as a pastor, but I can't be there for everybody, right? It doesn't work. But you have to say something. Like, if you don't say, I need something, how can anybody know that you need something? How can the community surround you if you don't say anything? And it's so easy for us to be like, well, someone should have shown up. You know, when we're in our darkest hour, sometimes, you know, when the storm is raging around us, we're in our, to get back to the storm analogy, we're in the the basement and we're going, where are my friends? Ever wondered that? And the truth is they're in their basement trying to ride out the storm. And then we think to ourselves, well, now the storm's over where I'm trying to fix the siding on my house. Where are my friends? But then if you actually talk to them, you find out they're trying to fix the siding on their house because they've been through. So it's like. We have to just, we have to communicate. We have to talk. We have to say something. We have to be in community. So it would be easy. We just read that verse. We can go back just one verse. Uh, it's easy to read this. And, and what James says is that if someone's sick, call for the elders and the elders will come and pray and anoint with oil and the prayer of faith will heal the person. And so then you can say, okay, so that whenever people in the church are struggling, just call the pastor or call one of the pastors and they come and everything gets fixed. I would love to come and pray with you. I would love uh, to do that. I know our staff would love to support you in any way we can. But that's not where James ends. He continues a few verses later to say this. Okay. He's going to turn the emphasis back towards all of us, not just the staff. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James says, look, you need to say something. You also need to be authentic and confess your sins He doesn't say confess your sins to God and pray to God and you'll be healed because that's what we all like to do because then it all stays hidden. He actually says what we need to do is confess our sins, our faults, our flaws to one another and pray for one. That means I pray for you and you pray for me. It means this person prays for and supports that person and that person prays for and supports. And here's the amazing thing. As we are vulnerable and caring for one another and praying for one another, we are healed. 
fact, what James is saying is that healing happens, healing happens in community. And I think all of us have experienced that, haven't we, in our lives? When we, when we do life with people and it's done right and it's in a loving community and there's healing on both sides. That's what has to happen. By the way, um, do you know that people hide in different ways? Uh, I was thinking about this a lot this week. I don't have time uh, to get into it. But like, think about this. Some, some people are introverted, which means they like being alone and actually get energized by kind of being on their own. Solitude is really nice for introverts. Extroverts are people that love to be with other people. They're, they're the party people. You know, an extreme extrovert, just like more people, the better. And they're energized by being with people. And so all of us are somewhere on that spectrum of introverted, extroverted. The pandemic has been experienced very differently by people depending on where they land on that spectrum. So somebody who's highly introverted is like, this is great. I don't have to be with people. I can sit in my basement with my Bible, with one friend, and I'm good to go. And people who are highly extroverted are just like, it's like solitary confinement for them, right? They're just like, I need people. But it's amazing how we all hide in different ways. So an introvert will hide by physically removing themselves. I don't need a small group. I don't, I don't need to be around those people. I'll just, I just have this one friend, I have a family member, I'm good. And so they, they isolate and hide themselves by physically isolating. Where an extroverted person, okay, someone who's like, will be out with everybody, but they will actually hide emotionally. They'll be with a hundred people, but go deep with none of them. So we all hide in different ways and we all have to move towards a commitment to community, which means, which means that we press in, 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 in unique ways. So the beautiful thing about life is that we're all different and we need each other. And if we're not committed to being in community, then what will end up happening is people will rub us the wrong way. We won't understand them and we'll break apart. So that commitment is so important. You guys understand what I'm saying? Um, what I want to do is I want to kind of talk practically for a few minutes about the season we're in and we'll wrap things up. We're in an interesting season right now uh, for the past 11 years. Well, I should say for the 10 years prior to COVID, we really, really emphasize small groups. And for those of you who've been around for a while, you know how much we've talked about and encouraged people to be in small groups. And for most of the history of the church, our small groups have been really, really uh, defined. It was like a set group, you know, 10 to 12 people. And it started here and ended here. And there was a sign-up process and we trained leaders a certain way. And there was a pretty rigid structure. And, and that's served us well for many, many years. The issue comes now that we're in a unique time. And the needs of people are different. And what we can actually accommodate as far as community and groups is different. And so we ask ourselves the question, how, how do I find community? So how do we, let's talk practically, how do I find community with people in this church? Well, there's, there's sort of two types of gatherings that we have as a church. Number one, large group. This is what we're experiencing this morning in person, online. Worship, prayer, teaching the word, say hi to people. That's kind of like the large group thing. And then small group is all of those small interactions and when I say small group, I'm not just talking about life groups. I'm talking about volunteer teams. I'm talking about showing up and serving with other people. I'm talking about two people that decide to enter into a mentor-mentee relationship. I'm talking about friends that gather to walk and pray. I'm talking about all kinds of ways that, that you guys and us connect individually and serve and love one another. Community at its core. And hopefully, through this, we encourage people to do this. And when this is healthy, this is healthy. There are things you can do at the large group level you can't do at the small group level. Okay? 
Like the fact that we have a large group gathering and we have people that show up and, and serve and give means that we can have visitors come. You can't have 20 visitors show up at your house at a small group. We can have visitors show up on a Sunday. We can live stream. We can purchase a building and open up that space so that all kinds of other community, smaller groups can meet and, and things can happen. We can, we can have a youth program that, that ministers to 50, 60, 70 kids a week. We can have kids programming. We can support missionaries, local and abroad. All of that happens because we have large group and people give and we're all part of this together. But the needs, the care and the prayer and, and, and all of those personal needs that we have have to happen at this level, at the small group. And I think what's happened is throughout the pandemic, much of this was, was pulled away from us or shut down because of COVID and restrictions. And so again, the thing is, is that we're actually still in a time where that's not straightforward, but we need it more than ever. We need it more than ever. How are groups formed? Here's the other question. How are groups formed? Well, there's formal groups and informal. Normally, again, pre-COVID, we'd have a, a LifeLink event and everybody that wanted to be in a group would show up in the gym and we'd have tables and we'd have leaders ready and we'd go, hey, here's a group that meets on a night. Here's a group that's working with kids and family stuff. Here's a group that's, you know, a serve group. And we kind of plug people in and find a formal way to put people in groups. But unfortunately, because of the season we're in, we really have to rely more on informal groups, informal groups. Okay. Which means people are going to have to, you and I are going to have to work really hard to find a way to get into community. And it won't necessarily be as easy as it was in the past, but if we're committed to community, it's something that we we really, really have to pursue. And I guess one of the questions I have for you, and again, I'm not, I'm not asking this in any way to be um, mean. It's just literally how committed are you to community? That's, that's the question we all have to ask, right? How committed are you to being in Christian community? If you have Christian community outside this church, I'm so glad because that's what I want for you. I want you to be in Christian community where you're growing. It doesn't have to necessarily be a, a pathway thing. But are you committed to Christian community? And I just, I just went through and made a list of some of the ways that we can be and some of the ways that we make excuses why we can't. Um, are you committed enough to community to join an online group? There's a question. Because I know uh, online groups aren't as nice as in-person groups. I'll just I'll say that. However, uh, my wife Jessica and I actually led a, a first-time small group this past year. And it was only on Zoom. We actually didn't meet until this summer when we could meet in, in person and have a barbecue together. And it worked. And it worked because everyone that signed up for the group was actually committed to making that process work. And it worked. Now, other people signed up for an in-person group, and then it got shifted to online with Zoom. And since the expectation was, and the experience had been, this is so amazing, when they went to the online, it was like, oh, this is a bummer. It was going backwards. And so I know it was tempting for all of us to kind of withdraw. But are you committed enough? To say, I'm going to get community however I can. That's a question. Are you committed to community enough to move things around in your schedule? Right? It's like, well, there's a group available for, for you, but it's on Wednesday night. And Wednesday night is the bachelorette. Like, I, I can't do Wednesday. Like, it's, it's crazy. The number, like, are you committed to community enough to actually move some other stuff around to make it a priority? That's a question. Again, it's a question that all of us have to ask as we think about what it means to be in community this fall, are you committed enough to start a bubble group? Todd talked about this last week, right? Like, even if you, there isn't a small group for you to attend, could you invite another family over 
and watch the service together online? Could you, um, could you maybe start a walking group with two or three other people where you walk once a week and you pray together and, and encourage one another? Uh, would you, would you be willing to connect with a few people on a Facebook group and do devotions together each day? I was talking to somebody, uh, recently, um, who's been attending this church online and, and this, this lady was telling me about how, um, she, she met this young lady and helped lead her to faith and they're doing devotions each day over the phone and she gave her a Bible and I'm like, that's amazing. That's the church being the church. We didn't organize. That was informal. That's a, I see a need and I'm going to connect with you and we're going to find a way to make this work. Are we committed enough to find ways to make things work? Are you committed enough to join a volunteer team and rub shoulders with people and get to know people that way? Are you willing to mentor somebody or allow someone to mentor you? You know, uh, for those that are are concerned, uh, rightfully so, about, you know, COVID and being in homes together, we totally understand that. We're, We're trying to find safe options for everybody. But again, would you be willing? to meet someone outside and go for a walk or to do an online group. There are ways to do community. They're just not always as easy as what we had in the past. And I guess the real question is, are we committed to it? Are we committed to say, I need you, I need community, and I'm willing to do what it takes to get there? If we are, I think there are ways forward uh, for us. You know, I'll get this this picture here. This is actually Hurricane Katrina in the aftermath. But I remember watching on the news when uh, it was a while ago. But I saw the people who lived in those communities and their houses were destroyed. They emerged from the wreckage after the storm and they began working together to rebuild. And it's the most beautiful image. And then, of course, you have people from outside the city that come in and volunteer to help. But people come together to help rebuild. This is this is what I hope for us, that as we move forward in the coming months, that we would surround each other and love one another and find creative ways to get into community. If you don't know someone and you meet them at church, invite them over for lunch, you know, go for a walk to find a way to get to know people, to put yourself out there and to build community. I really believe that if we're committed to community, um, we will find it. And I think it's so, so vital for us to have people again, not just friends, Christian community who challenge each other. We can pray for one another. We can encourage one another. This is, this is uh, God's plan for us so that we can grow. So uh, I hope that's helpful. Uh, today I want to close in prayer, and then uh, we're going to end with something fun. Father, thank you for every person uh, listening to the sound of my voice, those who are part of our family online and those in this room. God, we all long for authentic, genuine relationships where we can live together and love one another well. We understand, Lord, that the Christian faith cannot be lived out in isolation. So I pray, Father, that you would help us to find creative ways to connect with the people around us, people we need, people who are part of this body, people who are part of your community of faith. Lord, so that we are challenged and we can grow together, so that we can speak words of truth to each other and not be offended because we're committed to stay and engage. So, Father, thank you for all the people in this church who continue to work towards this end. Help us to love one another. Help us to reach out to one another. Help us to connect in ways like we've never done before. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's it from us here at Pathway. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please make sure you check us out on our socials. Our website is pathwaylife.com. Join us on Instagram forward slash pathwaylifechurch. And join in the conversation on our Facebook page forward slash pathwaylife. We look forward to seeing you very soon. Have a great week.
拜。